The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you and a joy to share the word of God with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 10 this morning, invites you to stand as we acknowledge together this is the Word of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as Everything we said to you was true. So also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let's pray. Lord, take this word now and apply it to the weary souls of your children, to these brothers and sisters who have gathered in this place, to men and women and young people who have come at this hour on this day, speak to us. And Lord, bring about that which your word intends and then birth it in us as we go. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This week, one of our founding members, Miss Beverly Kluwer, went to be with Jesus. I don't expect that very few, very many of you in this room even know who I'm talking about. For the last eight to ten years of Miss Beverly's life, her health has not allowed her to worship with us physically. Though this week, as I read through her Bible, She tracked online and took notes from every sermon until her health did not allow in the last month or so. In light of this message, I want to say something to you that is not light. Beverly Kluwer was one of the most encouraging people I've ever met. Christ in her was obvious. And because of Beverly Clure, her husband Leary, who died about 13 years ago, and multiple other members of this local church, I was able to persevere the first few years as pastor. That is not intended to be a negative statement about anyone or about Parkwood. It was hard for all of us to transition to a 33-year-old young man. Beverly, every Sunday, refreshed my heart as she sincerely told me how she prayed and how she had received the word. So brothers and sisters, I am grateful to pastor here, to be a part of a church to where I have witnessed and seen and still see today men and women 
like Beverly Cluer. So today I come to talk to you about godly encouragement. Here's my main idea. Godly encouragement in the body of Christ results in joyful refreshment and confidence. Now let me define godly encouragement. Even though the Bible does not distinguish godly encouragement from worldly encouragement like it does godly grief and worldly grief, I want to do so. Godly encouragement, I would define as godly encouragement is from God through his people for his purposes. Godly encouragement is from God through his people for his purposes. Whereas worldly encouragement, listen carefully, is from people for their purposes. Worldly encouragement is from people for their purposes. Both understand that people need encouragement. But godly encouragement knows, understands, comprehends that the body of Christ needs encouragement for the sake of spiritual growth. If, if I'm going to grow in Christ, and if you're going to grow in Christ, you need godly encouragement. It's a spiritual gift that God's given to the church, the gift of exhortation. Also, if the body of Christ is going to stay true to the mission, if we're going to follow the mandate of the Great Commission together, we must have and share godly encouragement. With that in mind, the first thing I want to pursue is that godly encouragement in the body of Christ results in joyful refreshment. Paul begins this section, therefore we are comforted and besides our own comfort. So let's go back in the chapter and look at verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told you of your longing, us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. So we see here's what transpired. Titus goes to, to, Car to Corinth, he's comforted by them, he comforts them, he returns, and then as a result, he comforts Paul. Then you come over to chapter 10, verse 10, and it says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you proved yourselves to be innocent. Then he says, verse 13, therefore we are comforted. So Paul is comforted by this reciprocal nature of how they were comforting each other. And then he specifically says, we are comforted because godly grief produced repentance in you. Then he says, and besides, or you might say it this way, on top of this, on top of this comfort, we rejoice still the more at the joy of Titus because his Spirit has been refreshed by you all. This word refreshed, it means to rest or to receive rejuvenation. Or I think the best way to define refreshed is life-giving. 
I don't know if you've ever been dehydrated to the point that you had to have an IV or you've ever been around someone who has been dehydrated to the point they had an IV. It is an amazing thing to watch. So you'll have this lethargic individual who is near death, sometimes even passing out. They'll plug this thing into their vein and within a matter of minutes, you can watch life returning to the individual. This is what refreshment is. It's life-giving. Someone who is downtrodden, someone who is dehydrated, not just physically, someone who is spiritually and emotionally dehydrated, this, the refreshing is to give life. So the time that Titus spent in Corinth proved to be a time of refreshment due to his interaction with the Corinthian church, with the believers there, their repentance, their reception of his message. In addition to the way they treated him, to the way they treated Titus as a minister of the gospel, as a brother in Christ, it brought refreshment to him. Now throughout Paul's letters, he returns to this idea of being refreshed. I'll give you one other example. Go back to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So I ask the question, why, why was Paul refreshed? Why was this life giving? There's a very simple reason that I think we pass through in our brains. He needed it. He wouldn't have been refreshed if he didn't need it. The absence of not being with them, the absence of being, of being separated, of, of being on this missionary journey that he was on and the difficulties that he were facing every day, he needed refreshment. He needed their presence. So I, I, I want to I make a confession pastorally. There are times when you pull up somewhere or after receiving a phone call and you think in your mind, the last thing I want to do is to go and face this. It could be a hospital. It could be a death. It could be a, a relational issue. It could, it could be someone who's just depressed. This is a quote. Above all, we must resist the temptation to run away from people's needs because we think we won't be able to cope with it. The troubled do not usually expect us to solve their problems, but they do appreciate our prayers, our concern. What matters most to people in distress is not that you say something. It's simply that you are there. That's what Paul's saying here. They were there. They showed up. And because of that, it refreshed him. So word, words do matter. I'm sure they shared stories and news and personal encouragement and shared the word with each other. It, it led to him understanding support as different people would show up, bringing support so that he could continue on the mission. 
I'm sure sometimes people brought gifts. Sometimes a gift can be refreshing. <laughs> we, we, we've been on these trips where we go and minister to the high school students and uh, every winter uh, there are high school students who are their parents are workers internationally you set out a couple of boxes of pop tarts and cheez-its you'd have thought we brought gold these simple things they can't get on a day-to-day basis and the smiles and the laughter while they're sitting and sharing these things together There's so many ways to refresh people, but people have to move to people. They have to actually touch people. So here's my question at this point. Are we giving, we, Parkwood, we, a family of believers, break it down to any smaller group among us, are we giving and receiving godly encouragement resulting in joyful refreshment? At the end of Romans, he said something very similar. Chapter 15, verse 32. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So our personal presence with others, whether that could be in, a, in our growth group, in, in student ministry, in kids ministry, in our congregational gatherings when we come together, wherever we come together, brothers and sisters, these must be life-giving gatherings. These must be places where people are refreshed by the company of one another. Now let's just talk about where we're at for a moment. COVID-19 has brought one of the greatest challenges to congregational life. Now I know there are more challenges that this has created in the world that I can talk about. But can I just speak for a moment about congregational life of being a part of a church? Will you think that way with me for a few minutes? Congregational life is based off of being able to bring joyful refreshment to each other. So that means there has to be personal contact. That means there has to be intentionality. And if we're going to move through this congregationally, we're going to have to be more intentional than we have ever been. I want to be careful here that we understand this. I'm not trying to rebuke anybody. I'm trying to lovingly think through how we apply this. So I'm talking to those present and those listening. One of the real difficulties right now is it's hard to know where are you? (laughs) In other words, where are people? Are you attending or not attending? Are you a part of your growth group or not? Is your growth group meeting or not meeting? Which, by the way, we're down to just a handful or not meeting now. Listen, if you're a part of a growth group, it is crucial that you stay in contact with each other. Crucial. We tried really hard, particularly when we weren't meeting at all, to, to, to make sure contact was made. But I, I've been very emphatic with the pastors now. I'm being emphatic as they will be with you as growth groups we must contact everyone in the next two weeks. Everybody. Are they okay? Do they need anything? Is it just simply, or it should simply just be, I'm praying for you and I'm thinking about you. We cannot lose contact. 
Those of you with underlying health concerns and need to be re- remain quarantined, please, you need to join us in making effort to reach out to others during this season. If you have fallen into a pattern where you're hardly in contact with anyone, you need to take steps today to reach out to others and to receive when others reach out to you. Hear me, those of you listening online, if you'll pardon me while I talk to people here. I've been told at least 10 times this week, I've tried to contact them and they won't return my calls. Don't do that. Nobody's trying to manage your life. We're just trying to love you. Let's care for each other. As members of the body of Christ in this local church, we have a joyful responsibility to each other. So let us prayerfully consider how can I be used of God to refresh the hearts of others today? Today. How can God use me in the lives of other people? Because if you do, it will result in joyful refreshment But it'll also result in this. Godly encouragement in the body of Christ results in joyful confidence. You say, what does this mean? Track with me here. This is a little harder to understand. He writes, for whatever boast I made to him, there's a difference between boast and bragging. Whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame, but just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. Now let's define the word boast. It means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone. Now Paul, when he used the word boast, it was always from a Christ-centered mindset. He clearly defines himself as it relates to this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. His boast was always centered on the work, the finished work of Christ. So when Paul spoke confidently about the Corinthians, when he boasted about them, it was from a Christ-centered point of view. And he spoke confidently to Titus. That's what verse 14 is saying. Now, imagine you're Titus. You've been delivering these letters. You've been dealing with this Corinthian church. And you're thinking, I'm not real confident. I I don't know if these people are listening to anything. I'm not even sure I want to go back up there or down there. I don't know if I want to deal with these people. But Paul says, he, 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 made this boast to them that, that he was going to send them, send him to them and trusting they were going to receive him. One author said it this way, Paul boasts in Corinth when they least deserved it. They didn't deserve it. So as a result of their response, he writes in verse 15, his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. You want to know who obeys the word of God? The people of God. Nobody else does. You might do it a little bit, 
But the only people who truly obey the word of God are the people of God, the redeemed who are in Christ. And Paul knew that there were redeemed people at Corinth and he knew that the redeemed obey the word of God. That's why he boasted. He had a confidence. And he says, now Titus' affection, his, his tenderness, this compassion that he has is even greater why? Because he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. That means they responded to Titus as if Titus was sent from God himself. They were responding from the message from the apostle, which would have been a message from God. So they obeyed it. So in, 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 in reality, they are obeying God. That's why it says they received it with fear and trembling. One thing they were scared of Titus. They were seeing what Titus was bringing. He was bringing them a message from the Lord. So because they obeyed and they responded, Paul writes emphatically in verse 16, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Now I've wondered about myself pastorally. Why, why have I not quoted this more? Here's the verse I will quote. Philippians 1.6. If you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this hundreds of times. I am sure of this, or I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I can understand Paul saying that about the Philippians. You read the letter of the Philippians, they were this wonderful, loving, joyful group of believers who were generous. And you can say, man, I get it, Paul. You're confident in the Philippians. But then he says this about the Corinthians. I have complete confidence in you. Paul believed and taught that those who are in Christ will grow and mature in him and be kept till the end. So he believed that the Corinthians were in Christ. He believed they would grow and mature and he believed that they would be kept to, an, to the end. And the question I have then, what effect does this have on a congregation of believers? Let me give you three different contexts of my experience with church, okay? With the tenor of a church, with the, the, the overall message of a church. So context number one, here's the tenor. You don't measure up, so try harder, doggone it. You been in that church? You come every Sunday, you feel worse than you did before you got there after you leave. You wonder when you get in the car, why do I go here every Sunday? Well, I need to try harder. Need to, need, need, to, need to do better. Which, by the way, I hope you notice something about my preaching. I try not to do this, not that I never. I don't preach to people who aren't here. Y'all ever notice that? In this kind of church, the pastor preaches to the people who aren't there. He yells and screams about them. And everybody feels bad. That, that, that's, that's not a place of refreshment. All right? Context number two. Here, here's the tone of that church. You're awesome. You ever been there? You're awesome. You're awesome. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a worldly, personal confidence. You can do whatever you want to do. You can accomplish anything. That's not the message of the Bible. And, and here's the reality. When you live in that kind of context, you're awesome. You can do whatever you want to do. We all know that's not true. We all know we're not awesome, and we all know that we can't do whatever we want to do. So what's context number three? 
Here's how I try to handle things pastorally. You are in Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Trust yourself. Don't look to yourself because the first two contexts, you're looking to yourself. If you're trying harder, you believe you can do it. If you think you're awesome, you believe you've already done it and you're just going to do more. Here's what we're saying. Here's what the Bible's saying. We couldn't do it. Christ did it on our behalf. We can't do it. Christ does it through us. So we trust him. Spiritual growth happens in this context. Brothers and sisters, we're not trying to earn anything. Christ is already accomplishing and done it for us and he is transforming our lives if you are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and he will finish what he started. He will. If you want to say, you know, once saved, always saved. I'm, I'm careful I don't use that language much because, not that I don't believe it, it says something different in the modern southern ear. It means if you prayed the sinner's prayer, you're going to heaven. Here's what the Bible teaches. If you have been saved by the grace of God and you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you have been converted, you are saved forever. You will persevere. You will continue until the very end. So here's my question. Are we giving and receiving godly encouragement resulting in joyful confidence? Giving and receiving. Not just giving, giving and receiving. Although there are occasions when Christians cause disappointment for one another, we as fellow believers must always exercise confidence on their behalf. Not in them, but in Christ. Because if they are regenerate, grace still reigns in their life. And it will continue to do so. We must believe that better days are ahead. It may mean immediate action. It may mean rebuke. It may mean godly grief leading to repentance. But here's what's true. The children of God are never failures. Never. We must never treat them that way. And if there was ever a church that could have been treated like failures, it was Corinth. And Paul's saying, here's what happened. Titus has been refreshed and encouraged. I've been refreshed and encouraged. And I just want to state it emphatically to you. I have complete confidence in you. That's not the first time he said it. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I got a footnote, Pastor Casey Shaw, pastor of our campus at Redemption Hill, for helping me see this this week. Paul didn't just end up here. This is how he started with this rebellious church. This is how he began. He began this way from the very onset. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, God's going to do it. 
That's this man's confidence as he writes. As this has been recorded now, which is Holy Scripture, that is the confidence which is exuded to us today. One of the commentaries that has helped me as I've read through this was written by our founding pastor, Dr. M. Owens. He titled his commentary on 2 Corinthians, Encouraging the Saints. It's not the reason. You know one of the reasons Beverly Clure was so encouraging? You know one of the reasons so many of our founding members were so encouraging? Because M.O. Owens was encouraging. It wasn't a you're awesome encouragement. It was you're in Christ. Trust him. Through him and our second pastor, I, I watched how the word of God And trusting in Christ is how it's communicated to the people of God. They marked me. I watch how you do it among each other week in and week out. This is a quote. Encouragement and joy are contagious. They have a ripple effect in a community. I'm not trying to be facetious here, but when I read that, here's where my mind went. Here we all are living discouragement and in isolation because of something that's contagious. When God has given us something that is more contagious, that can be used among each other and among the lost around us. And that is encouragement and confidence that is in Christ. So I'll say what I said a few weeks ago. You can go to growth group and talk about 10 ways to apply this, or you can apply it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know this local body of believers. You know it better than any of us know it. And I trust you today that you know where your body has need. And my tears are part of the fear that I don't see it and that many of us don't see it. You are the head of the body. So make the fingers move. Make the feet and legs operate. Cause compassion down deep inside of her. And move us toward each other. Cause us to see people we haven't seen in a while. Cause us to receive as to well as to give. And Lord, do a work among us in this desperate hour that we might be the people of God. Lord, I say with Paul, I have complete confidence in these people because they're your people. You are in them 
So work through them, I plead and I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.